This is the Political Monitor Podcast, brought to you by the Concord Monitor. My name's Clay Wirestone. In today's episode, we talk about Joe Biden's decision not to run, Hillary Clinton's testimony in front of the Benghazi committee, and more Donald Trump and Ben Carson than you thought you wanted. So I'm joined this week by John Van Fleet, our political editor. Hi, John. Hi, Clay. And by Ella Nelson, one of our reporters. Hello, Ella. Hi, Clay. So the news that really dominated the first part of this week was Wednesday's announcement by Vice President Joe Biden that he was not planning to seek the Democratic nomination for president. He made the announcement in the Rose Garden with President Obama there. Pretty much the instant he announced that he was going to make remarks at the Rose Garden as opposed to like a rally, let's say, in Iowa, people knew that the game was was up, I think. Um, John? Uh, Biden not being a potential candidate, what does it mean? It means that I lost the bet, Clay. That's true. <laughs> we did bet. I had I had a very personal connection to this announcement yesterday, and I was waiting. And as soon as he came into the Rose Garden, he, the body language told me that he was not running. And I thought, well, there it goes. I, I lost the bet. There go your $500. Or, or 50. Or five. Depending. It's a um, multiple of five. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, t- to me, I think what was interesting was actually listening to Biden's remarks because Biden's remarks did not actually sound like someone who was saying he wasn't going to run for president. They sounded like remarks of someone who was announcing that he would be running for president. Right. Um, you know, it was very much about making the case of, you know, continuing the Obama legacy, um, you know, supporting people in the middle class, you know, equality for all, all of these, these touch points that he clearly cares very passionately about. Right. And at one point he said, I think the, the big line that everybody took away was that he would like to be the president that, uh, you know, presides over the curing of cancer or see that happen in his presidency. So it didn't sound like an all out, you know, at first, yeah, a lot of people were saying... Uh, well, for a speech of "I'm not going to run," this sounds an awful lot like a, a campaign speech. It just it just sounded to me, and I'm as if he'd certainly given some serious consideration to what a Biden campaign would sound like, what a Biden campaign's message would be. Um, but I mean, ultimately, I mean, I mean, let's let's just break it down. Why didn't he? Why didn't he pull the pull the trigger? In in your guys' opinion, Ella, why 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 didn't he decide to run? I just think that, you know, uh, obviously the, the timing, as he said, the timing was not right. Um, it, it was a very tumultuous year for Biden with uh, the, the passing of his son, Beau. Um, and, uh, but it was very, like, it was kind of this tantalizing will he, won't he. And for me personally, like, just in the past couple of weeks, I was just getting really sick of the whole thing, <laughs> because it was like, you know, every time there was a mention of, of Biden's name, it was just like, it was just like more articles of like, maybe there's a sign, and but there actually was no sign. 
Um, so I think that, like a lot of people were saying, uh, you know, kind of the consensus is um, at least among sort of the media and consultants that, you know, it, it probably is best that he didn't run just for his own, you know, for his own sake, um, that it would have subjected his family to a lot of uh, scrutiny in a, in a very difficult time and would have been very difficult to pull off this late in the game. John, what are you, what are your thoughts? Why didn't, why didn't Biden decide to run? Well, he said it was too late. It was almost too late to jump in. And I'm not sure I agree with that. Um, I didn't think it was too late. And and certainly, uh, you know, historically people have jumped in later. Um, You know, it kind of brings into the, Joe Biden is viewed as an authentic politician, right? Mm -hmm. So there was, uh, there's been some discussion of how authentic are politicians. You know, Hillary Clinton has been examined under the authenticity light. And it's this kind of, it's in this inescapable question of when they act authentic, then they get accused, uh, they, they, then it's being... They're not disciplined. Right. And, and so if they're inauthentic, then they're cold and calculated and it's this vicious cycle. And so that circled around Biden yesterday. Was he being authentic or was he was he actually using some personal tragedy in an inauthentic way to make a strategic political decision? So yeah. those types of questions go round and round. One thing that I did find out yesterday yes. that was interesting, um, I was told that his, his son, Bo Biden, actually worked in Concord for a year. He was a clerk at U.S. District Court in Concord um, for one of the judges, Judge McAuliffe, and that is something that I didn't know. And um, I did not know that either. It was a very interesting little, little fact. Well, I mean, and I, and I think the, the word that, that I've read, certainly in some online uh, accounts, is that, you know, Joe Biden really believed that Bo would eventually be a candidate for president and might even be, be president himself. So I, I think... And he saw a lot of his role ultimately as kind of setting that up. Um, but I think in terms of Joe himself, I mean, the man already ran for president twice and never showed a lot of evidence that he was really a, a, a great contender for the job. You know, he, he ran in, uh, what was it, 87? He ran in uh, 07 and 08. And I think in, in both times, you know... It, there was just not a lot of evidence that he was, I mean, he was so Joe Biden that he was not necessarily a great presidential candidate. He was very off the cuff, very unscripted. People really liked that. They responded to it, just like you're saying, John, the authenticity. But that only goes so far when you you have to raise a lot of money and mount a 50-state challenge. Um, You know, our, our own Ray Duckler wrote a story about Biden's decision not to run and kind of the kind of uh, raised thesis in this is that it just makes the democratic debate possibly less interesting. Um, It says, um, one thing for sure, though, Ray wrote, is that in not choosing not to challenge Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders for the democratic nomination, the political landscape here lost a lot of its appeal. We are braced for an explosion of media and weekend rallies and heartfelt moments and tense times between Biden and Clinton, once part of the same administration. Um, the Democrats are left with a blander product without Biden in the hunt, um, and you know, I, and I wonder, I, I wonder about that. I mean, do 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 we feel like that's maybe why people wanted Biden to run was just that he would add that drama to the Democratic side? 
I think, I mean, I think the drama, but then also just because you have, um, not necessarily that I think that there is a huge ideological difference between Bernie Sanders and Hillary Clinton, but you have Hillary Clinton on one side, you have Bernie Sanders on the other, and I think that for a lot of people, Joe Biden kind of presented a nice medium balance to them, um, you know, and and with his personality as well as, um, you know, maybe where he he stood on the issues. Mm -hmm. Um, John, any other any other thoughts? Well, yeah. If you look at the Republican side and all the candidates there, and the the, the difference in the, the the level of debate, the, the choices. So I think there may be some Democratic jealousy for the competition that's going on the Republican side, and that Joe Biden would have added a more lively, mm-hmm. um, you know, yeah. runoff and 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 a more lively debates. Certainly, now that Jim Webb has dropped out, there's a, there's a there's an open lectern on the de- on the debate stage. That's true. Well, you know, Lawrence Lessig right. could always uh, could always take it. Uh, it was interesting that in a recent poll, uh, sort of Bloomberg poll, Lessig is coming out uh, came out at a, a full one percent, which was still more than our good friend Lincoln Chafee and and even Martin O'Malley. Who, wow. who registered at less than one percent? I wonder how Martin O'Malley and his and his campaign are feeling right now because I think that it's the the post debate is not showing any significant bumps for him that I've seen. I don't know if you guys have seen anything different, but no, I mean, I I, I think you know O'Malley had a lot riding on the debate and has a lot riding on the concept of concepts of the debate. So you know, we we shall see. I think. You know, certainly that predominant narrative of Hillary being dominant in the debate didn't do him any any favors. Um, you know, and that's I think ultimately what people feel about Biden not running is it ultimately is it ultimately helps Hillary, right? You know, because it ultimately clears away like her only real establishment potential establishment challenger. She has a dominating lead in most of the states across the you know most national polls even if she's not necessarily ahead in, in New Hampshire. I guess, John, that Bloomberg poll showed that she was she was not in first place here, right? She's not in first place here. Uh, Bernie Sanders is still in first place here. But if you look at New Hampshire's impact on the total number of delegates, she can, and this is why there was some speculation that she was going to maybe pass up on New Hampshire a little bit, she could throw away those, and still she's she's got a clear path to the nomination now. So it is uh, Hillary Clinton is the nominee. Everyone's wondering who's going to be the nominee on the Republican side. Much speculation's been done. Um, the front runner. I mean, he had some comments about Joe Biden, did he not, Ella? He did. Yes. Yeah. There was just uh, the the Donald front Trump run front runner being out. Donald Trump. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> who else would we be talking about? Um, yes, Trump. Uh, Trump had an Instagram. Um, that he just said that he's he's very happy, and he tweeted out three hours ago, Joe, thanks for not running with uh, the Instagram. I don't know if you want me to play this. Yes, please. <laughs> okay, I'll just pull this up here. Um, I thought go. he would smile at the end, but he just maintains Trump composure throughout. So here we go. Joe Biden did the right thing by not running, but I wanted to run against Hillary anyway, so I'm really happy. And there you <laughs> note. There's no smile when he says, "I'm really happy." It's just the same Trump face. <laughs> and speaking of Donald Trump and polls, 
he, uh, for the first time, is not in first place in one of the polls. An Iowa poll has him in second place behind Ben Carson. And he took the news extremely well. Yes. So, <laughs> yes, Donald Trump has been has been bested by, like, the, the Republican candidate that is, like, the opposite of him, that is the most soft-spoken guy. Well, opposite, perhaps, <laughs> temperamentally, right, exactly. if not on the issues. Right, um, so Trump, Trump took the news very well today and tweeted out that too much Monsanto in Iowa's corn is, uh, what, making, making their brains soft, <laughs> soft, doing something to their brains. Um, although to be, to, to be, be fair, it was a retweet. He it didn't was, a tweet. well, it was a retweet, but it was so, um, you know, I'm not, I guess I'm not the, the biggest on Trump's retweeting practices but it was a manual retweet it wasn't just like a retweet this person yeah he actually it was like quotes and the original tweet but it was from his account so he somebody had to type that in it was not just a click it wasn't an auto retweet it was yes oh and and the the exact quote was um that monsanto in the corn creates quote issues in the brain Mm, i I see (laughs) and then later he blamed it on he blamed it on an intern yeah yes which I think would come as a surprise to most people who follow Donald Trump on Twitter, given that um, it seems to have a very personal stamp from him on it most of the time. Absolutely, and that's like he's making his whole brand on on Twitter. Yeah, the the tweet I actually really like the the second tweet. The young intern who accidentally did a retweet apologizes. <laughs> 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 I, well, you know, young interns—they, they, they do cause trouble. They do uh, at times, um, you know. And uh, but then, you know, getting back a little bit to to Hillary Clinton, we are taping this now at about four fifty on Thursday afternoon, and Hillary Clinton is still giving testimony to the House Committee. Uh, looking into the attacks on the U.S. uh, consulate in Benghazi, uh, Libya. It's going to be, I think she's ultimately going to be in front of the the committee for some 10 hours or something today, um, answering questions from from everyone, although I guess the chairman of the committee is is Trey Gowdy, who um, has come under some fire recently for potentially politicizing, politicizing the committee, politicizing the hearing. But... Um, there's a lot of Hillary Clinton out on the out on TV today. Yes. Um, so so John does you know in in a situation like this, you know what does Hillary Clinton need to do? Basically, just keep her head down and and not make mistakes. Well, my my opinion is that this these hearings aren't going to change anyone's minds. Um, mm-hmm. That basically Hillary supporters say she did fine, she did great. Um, that these are partisan attacks against her, and the people that have thought that she did, that she's basically at fault for what happened in Benghazi, the lack of security, the death of an ambassador, are going to feel that these hearings confirm that. So this is, this is political theater, and, that, and the different sides watching it can extrapolate what they want from it. So if the focal point is on Hillary and how she did, then she's going to do great. If the focal point is on the questions and does it verify the evidence that it shows that she's at fault and somehow and to blame, then I think people will be able to see that in it too. 
Ella, any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, I don't think, like, I mean, there's just been so much, um, you know, many people in the, the media have said there's just been so many hearings on this already, and I, I agree. I don't think it's going to change a lot of people's minds. Um, the, the, and actually, the sort of the biggest takeaway, what everybody's been reporting this afternoon is, um, more so than Hillary's testimony, it's just sort of been the, the fight between uh, some of the congressional leaders on the panel, just, again, over this question of when are we going to stop this, um, the Democrats saying, you know, this is, this is uh, I think one person called it like a taxpayer-funded fishing expedition, um, and of course the Republicans uh, pushing for, for more. So, um, And it's not the first time that Hillary Clinton has even testified about the attacks either. Right. She, she appeared in 2013. But you know, the other thing that's important to note about this particular committee, this, this new one and this new investigation, is that this is the committee that, un, that uncovered the fact that Hillary Clinton had been using a private email server. Uh, for her work at the State Department. And, you know, kind of above and beyond anything this this committee decides or figures out, that, that email issue is, is going to, I think, continue to hang around. Yes, absolutely. I think I think that it's going to, you know, again, it's, it, it's a very, I think, a breakdown of uh, getting politicized again. But, you know, it's, it's going to be something that, um, you know, if, if Clinton wins the, the nomination, then it's for sure going to be one of the, the big things in the general election, I have no doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, so John, anything else you've been tracking this last week in the, um, in the overall presidential primary contest? Well, I mean, this, this week was a, lit, a little bit of a, a break. You know, mm-hmm. We didn't see a lot of visits. And um, speaking of Mr. Trump, he is yes. due back in New Hampshire Monday morning. Right and early. So he's doing a sp- uh, piece on the Today Show, uh, Matt Lauer, correct? I believe so. And so Ella thought that this was a typo, that the town hall that he's holding at the Atkinson Country Club is 7 a.m. with a press uh, arrival at 6 a.m. Wow. We figured it was p.m., right? But um, no. I wish it was a typo. That is that is impressive. So he'll be here bright and early, getting yes. off the plane, um, Atkinson Country Club. Mm-hmm. And just to just to update everybody uh, who may be avidly listening and wondering, when are we doing our Donald Trump Day in the Life? Oh, that's right. We talked about that before. <laughs> we talked about that a couple of weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, I sent a follow up email to uh, his spokeswoman. Um, and I, I don't know. I don't know. I think this is going to be definitely the trickiest one to do. Um, I think I you were suggesting like... the last time that you didn't think it was going to happen. Well, not that I don't think it's going to happen. Um, I mean, like I've said before, uh, Trump does not campaign like anybody else. Um, he does not do multi-day swings. He does not even do multi-event swings. He does one event and he flies in and out. Although he is starting to do, he earlier in the election season, he used to just do like one event every week or something. And now he's doing like a whole slew of events, but he's hopping from Iowa to New Hampshire to Virginia to, I don't exactly know all the places he's going, but he's going to be a lot of places. So he's just doing, you know, all campaigning next week. Um, so the day in the life that we normally do is follow a candidate around for a day in New Hampshire. Um, Trump does not do that. So we are trying to figure out other ways to do it. But I 
had sort of had this conversation of, of some ways that we could do it with the spokeswoman and um, emailed again earlier this week to follow up because I saw he was going to be in New Hampshire next week. And um, she said it did not work for them this time around um, and said, reiterated that a day in the life is not something that the Trump campaign is interested in doing. <laughs> so I am still going to try. Well, you know, I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll see a bunch of him one way or the other. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you know, it, it does strike me, though, when you're talking about Donald Trump, you know, it's, you know, it's something that hits me about Trump and something that, that I, I realize about Bernie Sanders, too, is, you know, each of these guys, you know, they've made them, their mark on their respective races basically by doing huge events. Mm-hmm. You know, Trump does these giant rallies, and he always is at pains to say how giant they are. You know, Bernie Sanders is, is likewise doing enormous rallies in some very deep blue states, too, like, you know, doing a rally in Massachusetts and, and whatnot, m- meaning, meaning to just show how much, you know, support he has. You know, part of me wonders, and, you know, either of you can take this, I mean, is this concentration on the big events by these guys? I mean, each of whom, you know, Bernie isn't necessarily the front runner of the Democratic race, but he's certainly, you know, neck and neck with Hillary in some important, important states. You know, Trump is definitely the front runner on the Republican side. What does this kind of big event um, kind of focus for these guys kind of mean? The fact that they're able to get so many people well, no, to show but the, up. But, but, you know, traditionally the whole way that we always think of the early states is it's small events. It's mm-hmm. house parties. It's shaking hands. It's mm-hmm. the one-on-one voter contacts. And these events are definitely not that. I think they are They're engineered to be attention-getting exercises. So to show visually, and that's why Trump is so clear, quick to point out how many thousand people showed up, is he, in Trump's case, he wants to boast, you know, I'm I'm this far ahead in the poll. I had this many people show up at my event as validation, as evidence that he is the Republican superstar. So Bernie Sanders, you know, has come from behind campaign to catch up and in some cases surpass Hillary Clinton, is is taking some of the same pulling on some of the, the, the same threads, which is I can show you how many people are discontent with the status quo. I can show you how many people don't like politics as usual, and they're showing up at my events. And certainly those aren't, you know, those aren't cardboard cutouts. Those are real people. So there is evidence that there's serious voter discontent with the way things have been in the American political system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that for, for Bernie Sanders' campaign especially, um, you know, when when he first started his campaign, I don't think he anticipated that there would be you know twenty thousand people showing up to these rallies. Um, I remember talking to some some campaign people sort of early on, and and also reading in articles, and you know they would be getting these venues and then seeing all these people RSVPing and and quickly realizing that they needed to get a bigger venue. And I think for Bernie Sanders in particular, those crowds. Um, you know, that's sort of what made him a legitimate candidate right off the bat. I mean, other stuff has followed with his donations and everything like that. But that is basically the entire thrust of his campaign is, you know, look at these huge crowds, look at all these donations that I'm getting, because of course, he's not relying on super PAC money. So like, it's more than just a show of force. I mean, it certainly is a show of force for him. But that really is, you know, that really is his, (laughs) what his campaign is all about. And, you know, his, his big, tagline um his his thing is uh you know starting a political revolution and so um you know he is more than and and again for him you know more than while trump's campaign is very much centered on trump 
the man, Bernie Sanders is trying to, um, at all of his campaign events, say this is not about me, this is about a movement of people. So that's, mm-hmm. I think, the entire thrust of this. It's time for a political revolution. Yeah. Right. Sorry, I don't do a very good Bernie Sanders. No. <laughs> not as not as good as Larry David. No, yeah, apparently not. on Saturday Night Live. And Trump's coming up on Saturday Night Live. That's right. right. Yeah. He's going to be hosting November seventh, mm-hmm. I believe, with musical guest Sia. Interesting. So, although that's that's interesting too, because that's caused there a whole kind of online time. online backlash with right. people. Saying, you know, change.org petitions and the like, calling for NBC to disinvite him from mm-hmm. Saturday Night Live. Of course, that kind of ignores the fact that Hillary Clinton was a, you know, a, a cameo guest on the first episode of the season of Saturday Night Live as Val the bartender. I thought that was a great bit. Yeah. I really enjoyed that. And I did like her Donald Trump impression. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, and, and, and I think it also ignores the fact that, I mean, Donald Trump is... The GOP frontrunner. Mm-hmm. I mean, and and I, and I think basically any you know entertainment or political show, you know, if the frontrunner is interested in making an appearance, you say sure, right? Because that's I mean that means you're automatically going to have people watching it. Um, I mean, I, I it does remind me there's a, there's as I was telling you guys before we started taping, there's a piece in the Washington Post this week that asks the question, you know. Is this about the point when the political press should start taking Donald Trump seriously? Because certainly for all of the summer and most of the early fall, you know, there's always been this belief that at some point Trump was going to fall behind. That There was no way that this could last. And as the writer points out, he's actually held a bigger lead and a more sustained lead than Mitt Romney did at a, over a similar time period in 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, there's still a, a lot of folks who will say that Jeb Bush is still the person who's most, uh, you know, well set up to actually be the eventual nominee. Who says that? Um, there was actually a piece in Politico that said it is still Jeb. It is still uh, Jeb. I, I believe that as well. Um, the the race, which many the race that many people tried to avoid, which is Hillary versus Jeb, Bush versus Clinton. Uh, does seem to be still in the mix. Um, obviously, Jeb is not the front runner. He, the most recent poll in New Hampshire, has him at third place. The significance there is the last time we talked about the poll numbers, Fiorina was in number third right. place, and so she has faded. And you're seeing a bunch of Jeb Bush ads. You know, he's in it for the long haul. He's got a lot of money, probably not Trump kind of money. Um, but he's got a lot of money in his. Although Trump chest. is, to be fair, Trump is not actually spending his money. That's that's yeah. the thing. Mm-hmm. He's he's subsisting almost entirely on free media mm-hmm. at this point. So, um, so yeah. So you're 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 still a Jeb a Jeb guy, uh, so to speak. I, I believe that uh, that voter. My prediction since since I was wrong in the Joe Biden prediction. Indeed. Let me say that I do think that the race is going to come down to two nominees, which is Jeb Bush and Hillary Clinton. Well, I, I, I will say let's, let's roll over this bet, whatever it is, 500 or Double or $50, whichever, to uh, – but I, I, I'm going to just say I think Clinton is a foregone conclusion probably. So let's, let's not include that. I think the question is basically is Jeb Bush going to be the, Je- the GOP nominate, nominee or not? You say yes, I say no. I agree with Clay. You think no. Yeah, I think no. 
And guess what? Just, it doesn't matter if I'm wrong, because I'm always wrong, it seems. <laughs> well, but you're the one who's going to ultimately have to pay out, you know, once once, once we uh, we get the results. Um, I feel like... Um, I feel like someone like Marco Rubio is actually very well positioned. That's kind of my feeling. Yes, I do too. I think that there is still, I mean, I think there's still enough choice, but I just think that everywhere I go, and I guess, to be fair, most of the Republican events that I've gone to, um, now that I have Kasich in the mix, there will be some more moderates, but most of the Republican events I've gone to are Trump supporters, um, and they all seem to really hate Jeb. Um, but I just think that there is uh, that there's not a lot of enthusiasm for Jeb, and there's not a lot of enthusiasm for Hillary either. But I think there's more than there is on the Republican side for Jeb, because putting aside the whole political dynasty thing, I just think that Jeb is a little too wonky and not charismatic enough for people. I don't think he comes off as well. I think what surprised a lot of people when Jeb came into New Hampshire and started campaigning is that he w- he's not actually always the smoothest campaigner. He's, Wouldn't he's, that make him authentic? Well, but I think people expect, if he's an, a, the establishment candidate, to kind of be at the ready uh, and, and avoid obvious, um, obvious gaffes, obvious blunders, such as the whole question about, you know, did he support the invasion uh, in Iraq, for example? You know, and, and that was something that took him like a week to kind of sort out his, his response to that. Um, and, uh, oh, what was it? There was the, uh, there was the, the shooting, and he, he, he said something about stuff happens, Right. I, I think, was the, was the quote there. And it's not so much, you know, you can always take a couple of words out of context and lose the, the overall meaning, but you have to, if you're a politician, realize that, you know, you say something like that, it's going to be able to be misinterpreted. Mm-hmm. And, and skillful politicians, you know, you don't avoid that 100%, but you avoid like 90% of it right. or 95% of it. And, and I feel like Jeb has not been avoiding 90 or 95%. One of the things that I wanted to ask you guys what your thoughts are, um, because I certainly don't think that, that Carson is eventually going to win the nomination, but I do think it's interesting. And, you know, obviously Donald Trump is still sucking a lot of the oxygen out of the room. But, you know, Carson is now has a lead in Iowa. He's second place in New Hampshire. People are definitely talking about him, but I just don't think to the degree um, that that they're talking about Trump. And I'm just interested in what you guys think of him. I think Trump is a not Trump. <laughs> well, that's that's a that's um. You always have a hard time talking about Carson. <laughs> that says something, doesn't it? That I'm supposed to talk about uh, Ben Carson, and I say Donald Trump's name. Um, I think his attraction, as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, is largely temperamental. That is, I think Republicans. I think there are a lot of Republicans who are very conservative, but who don't like the bombast of someone like Trump. They find just Trump's approach off-putting, um, but they like the idea of an outsider, they like the idea of someone that, that takes, you know, kind of non-politically correct positions on, on things, they like someone who, who doesn't apologize that much. And, you know, and Ben Carson is actually all of those things. You know, he doesn't go out of his way to apologize when he says something uh, that, that a lot of people criticize, for example, his suggestion that, you know, a, a, a Muslim should not be elected president. Um, you know, he, he doesn't back down from that stuff. He, he shoots from the hip. Um, and yet his entire demeanor, his entire approach, 
is so, so calm, so zen, that, that I think for, for kind of that, that Republican voter, you know, they, they really, they like that. They like that he's authentic. Well, they, no, but they, they like that he's, he's, he's cool. They like that he's calm. They like that he, you know, seems to have, you know, popped a couple of Xanax before everything <laughs> he does. I, yeah, I think, I think people like, they respond to honesty, right? And he is not the magic eight ball of, of the political world. You know, you ask him a question, he thinks about it, and he gives you an honest answer. And I think people really, really appreciate straight talk. You know, there's, there's two schools of thought. Well, I mean, the old saying is, Voters aren't stupid. Some people would uh, would disagree with that, but I tend to believe that people aren't stupid, and so when they get intelligent responses to their questions, they gravitate towards it. That's what they want. They don't want the same old rhetoric, and and I think that is the appeal of, of Ben Carson. Whether he can pull it off, you know, we'll, yeah. we'll see. I, I don't. For me, I think the, the real issue though is that. I don't see any evidence, personally, that I've seen that Ben Carson actually wants to become president. Mm-hmm. You know, I think Donald Trump, you know, who knows at the beginning, but I think Donald Trump definitely likes the idea of being president. Um, to me, Ben Carson is someone who has, you know, very consistently and very carefully over the past three or four or five years built up his name in conservative circles. He's written a string of books that have sold pretty well to his intended audience. He's been essentially on a perpetual book tour, um, and he's he's supposedly actually taking a two week break from campaigning here this this month and next to to sell his new book. Oh my Although exactly what the difference is between his like book promotional appearances and campaign appearances, right. I think is I think is a pretty narrow difference. Right, right, right. Well, uh, one of the one of the points that you make about uh, you know. Trump and Carson's demeanor. I really wonder if just with their success, like if one if one success could exist without the others. I guess the, maybe this is probably more for Ben Carson, but if he would be polling so strongly if he didn't have Donald Trump right next to him. Um, I don't know, but well, and I, I think that's a really I think that's a really interesting point, mm-hmm. and I and I think it's you you the the race doesn't exist in a vacuum. I mean, I think you also can't ignore the fact that. Um, that there, I think there is a certain amount, there is a certain racial element to what's going on as right. well. And it's, it's, this is a delicate subject to talk about. Um, but when you have you know, President Obama, who was elected twice and has faced really stiff Republican criticism over his tenure, a lot of liberals have accused conservatives over that time of essentially being racist in their opposition to the president. And a lot of conservatives feel that that is incredibly unfair to, to them. Um, I mean, because obviously there are always people who are going to be racists who are liberal or conservative or no political persuasion at all. And so I think, you know, for, for s- some conservatives, the fact that you have someone like Ben Carson who's running, who is, you know, obviously an incredibly accomplished person. I mean, he's a brain surgeon, for goodness sakes, who presents this appealing kind of temperament and who is also African American? I mean, I think there's there's an appeal there to be able to show people, you know, see we, we're we're not like what some some of you have accused us of being. Right, we right. we actually are open to this kind. We're we're open to a candidate yeah. like Ben Carson. You know, we we support him. 
Well, very interestingly, one of my uh, close friends from college is now living in Alabama because her husband is stationed in, in an Air Force base there. So she's from Manchester originally and has been living for the past year and a half in the Deep South. And she uh, told me that Ben Carson uh, has wide support in Alabama and they hate Donald Trump. Mm. They do not think they do not think he's authentic. They think that he's just saying whatever he wants to say to get the nomination. Well, and then there, there's also a geographic element to that, too. When you start mm-hmm. talking about the Deep South versus someone like Donald Trump, who's New York through and through. You know, so that's and that's and then, of course, this is the whole thing. You know, we're talking so often when we talk about the campaign, it's like everything is, is heading towards this New Hampshire primary towards the Iowa caucus. But really, there are going to be a, a, at least a month to two months of extra contests after that that are actually going to determine who, who, they, who the nominees are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, well, John, Ella, any other, any other thoughts before we close the door on this week? Sure. Why not? Why not throw this out there? So okay. uh, Trump isn't the first person to pick on Iowa voters. Our good governor, former governor, John Sununu, Mm-hmm. Was the one who coined the phrase "People in Iowa pick corn, people in New Hampshire pick presidents." John, thank you, thank you, Clay. <laughs> Ella, thank you, thank you, Clay. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can stay up to date on all episodes of this podcast series by subscribing through iTunes or Stitcher. And stay up to date on all the latest political news at politics.conqueredmonitor.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.